Hey, Boulevard Church, Pastor Wes here. Just letting you know that I really, really miss you. Uh, we're going a few weeks in. I know for some people this can be a really, really difficult time of maybe feeling alone or isolated or separated from the church. And that's why I want you to know that I'm so happy that you're here with us right now. And I'm also happy and excited to jump on uh, live with you guys after the message. Um, well, live-er, where I actually have the computer in front of me and I can talk to you guys. Very excited about that. Uh, but with that being said, we are in the middle of our Three Pillars series. It'll be going the whole year. And just so you you know this week and next week are our last two weeks of the first pillar and we'll be starting the second pillar uh this next two weeks from now and that message that series is going to be called a heart for the house and so i'm looking forward to that as we talk about the church but what are our three pillars our three pillars is what we believe every Christian can build their lives. And if you focus on these three things, I believe, biblically speaking, that you will fulfill the entirety of the Bible and always land within the perfect will of God the Father. So what are the three pillars? Pillar number one is your personal relationship with God. Christians, as we focus and dive in and develop our relationship with God, um, we will always be fulfilling large portions of Scripture. Secondly is love, the falling in love and having deeper relationship with your local church. We believe that Jesus Christ came, died, bled from his side. Out of the side of Adam came his bride, and out of the side of Christ came his. That is the church, and that is us. Christ gave his life for us to be united and for us to be one. That is our second pillar, and we believe it is important for us to really unite and be together, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. And what's our third pillar? Well, the third pillar of the Bible is evangelism. Are you speaking the truth? Are you spreading the truth? Are you feeding the lost and the lonely? And we believe that if you really focus on having a strong relationship with God, a strong relationship with your church, and a strong relationship with those who are lost and broken in the, in the way of spreading the gospel, that you will always fulfill the gospel and the Bible to a T. Now, we are still focusing on our first pillar, and this series we've been calling First Love, because we believe biblically speaking, and just, you know, anyone close to God, you know this in your heart, that when you put God first, everything else lines up. That Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit within us need to be the first and greatest loves of our entire lives. Can I get an amen on that one? I can't hear you. In the back. Yeah. Okay. Um, Christina's here. Hi, Christina. Uh, she was silently going like this. I appreciate you, Christina. I, I hit the mic just now, so I think everyone heard it. Um, but it's okay, because Jesus loves you, and he loves Christina, and he loves the mic, uh, because it lets you hear me, and maybe Christina. We're talking about, okay, yeah, so first love. Now, with first love, I'm going this message today, the atmosphere of Christ. Us as Christians, we're not just called to think and be and act a certain way. I believe there's an atmosphere that Christians need to carry within themselves. A, a way we view the world, just the atmosphere of that. Like, what does that really look like? And why was Jesus able to face such oppression, so much drama, so much chaos? Why was he able to face it so well? Well, I believe Jesus lived his entire life in an atmosphere. And I think there's certain Christians who have experienced that. I don't know if you've ever had a point in time where you're in your secret place and you really feel like, oh my God is here. Or maybe when you're worshiping, being in a large crowd of people and suddenly you feel like, wow, God is in this room. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, uh, but I think many of us have. Preferably, I think when Christians first come to Jesus, we experience that a lot. And then as time drags on, we maybe don't experience it so much. And I'm actually here to tell you, I believe Christians are supposed to live in that kind of atmosphere 24 
seven. That can either be really encouraging or discouraging to you, depending on how you view it. But let's say we're going to go forward being encouraged by that. Not looking at ourselves of, man, why aren't I doing this? But looking at it go, wow, I get to do this. Did you know the depth of your secret place can be the depth of your day-to-day, moment-to-moment, minute-to-minute, and second to second. I want to read a few scriptures with you, but before I do that, I want to point out that today's message, you know, I've said this a few times when I come in with certain messages, it could be offensive. Uh, I do think that some of these points might be very confrontational and might brush up a bit against how we're feeling. And so I would love to say right now that I love you, that I appreciate you. There's at no point today where I'm thinking of people specific, unless I mention their name specifically because they're in my notes. I'm coming for you, Tom. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is I, I don't want you to feel at any point that you're being attacked or that you're under fire. Uh, I think there are aspects of our Christian walk that because we don't want to offend people, we kind of hide or we set the bar lower. And what that happens is it dumbs down Christianity. It dumbs down our power to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. And I want to tell you, I think most people will tell you, hey, if you're not feeling that kind of presence with God, that's okay. You don't have to feel it all the time. And that's true. You don't need to feel it, but you need to be in that atmosphere 24-7. Does that atmosphere always have feelings? No, it doesn't. But is there a certain way that your heart leans when you're in that? Yeah. Is there a certain posture, a submission, a humility, a joy, a peace, a happiness, an excitement, a hopefulness, a faithfulness that comes by living in an atmosphere of Christ 24-7? There absolutely is. And uh, in that place, there's no room for anxiety, fear, doubt, anger, pride, Some of us are sleeping around, watching porn, stuck on, whatever we're stuck on. And those things have no life. They can't survive. They suffocate and they get cut off in an atmosphere that is dictated by Christ. And so I want to read a few verses with you. I want to pray with you. I want to tell a story with you. And I want to really just wrap this up um, and, and point out a few things that you'll see with people who have a life Christ focused. And so with that being said, know this church. I love you. And I'm so excited to read these verses with you. Uh, We're going to be reading out of two books today, Psalms chapter one and Jeremiah chapter 17. But altogether, we're only reading five verses until later when I add two more. Okay. Um, So Psalm chapter one, verses one to three. When you're there, say there. I'm just kidding again. Christina's going to bring her big technological Bible. It's going to be right in front of your face. um, And hopefully it'll line up. Um, (laughs) she's mad at me all right um like share and subscribe to this message because christina wants me to tell you that uh really just make sure we're spreading the love and spreading this message out to the people who are in need and who need a message of hope and who can know this is what life can be like with christ so psalm 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 chapter one verse one to three goes like this Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Uh, when you read that those three verses, you really get an idea of the culture of a Christian. I'm not taking advice 
or hanging out with or surrounding myself with evil things. I'm actually planting along life and I'm planting along peace. I don't wither. I'm not anxious. I'm not fearful. My life has changed and it's different because I've planted myself by a stream, a specific stream. Jesus says, I am, you know, Jesus tells us that there is water where we could never thirst again. And this is that stream that we're planted on. The Bible tells us that this stream is coming from under the throne of God in heaven at the end time. And the tree of life is on either side of that water. We'll talk about that a bit more today if I remember. Um, But I I would like to point out that when you want to grow any type of tree, you need three things. You need good soil, you need a seed, and you need the proper atmosphere. You can have some of the healthiest oranges seeds, the best orange seeds in all the land, but if you plant them in the middle of the desert, the oranges won't grow, and it's because the atmosphere is wrong. Um, Us as Christians, there's a certain atmosphere that we have to live in. And I want to read you one more section of scripture. Basically, it's just Psalm 1, 1 to 3 all over again. But Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. And see if you hear similarities between this and Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Hear that? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I'm going to pray with you and we're going to talk about these two verses, these two sections of scripture that are basically identical. You know, uh, it's like, it reminds me of that funny meme where it's like, it's like Psalms 1, 1 to 3. Someone wrote it. And the guy who was supposed to write Jeremiah 17 was like, oh man, I forgot to do my homework today. Can I copy you? And he's like, yeah, just change it up a little bit. Because it's basically the same thing. It's just a little bit different. Um, but there's a reason why. There was a certain culture. There is terminology. There's a certain phraseology. There's a certain way that men of the kingdom, women of the kingdom, that Christians carry themselves. And that's why from Old Testament to New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see certain things that are, it's the same thing. Their word, it's all the same words. It's all the same phrases. Why? Because this is the verbiage of the kingdom. And the verbiage of the kingdom of God for Christians, follower of Jesus, is this. I am a tree planted by a stream. My leaves do not wither. I always produce fruit. I am not anxious. I do not fear drought, drought, and I do not fear heat because I am sustained by the river of life. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, God. I thank you that we can come together and talk about just how great you are, just how good you are, Father God. We can talk about the atmosphere that our lives can be in, Father God, that this coronavirus and this isolation, that the people in the room around us that maybe hold us back or distract us, Father God, or fill us with anger or, or something that would cause our eyes to turn from you. I thank you, God, that there's no excuse like that in your kingdom because your the atmosphere that you set within our hearts can be so contagious, God, that I thank you that amongst the great storms. I can sleep soundly and depend on you, God. Uh, God, I pray that as we talk about this message, you would fill the hearts of the people to really fill this, to really be fulfilled by this, Father God, and that our lives could honestly, truly change radically in response to the words found in your holy scripture. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. I am going to drink this Uh, Because as Erica points out, yeah, Erica, I'm calling you out. As Erica points out, if I don't drink my water before service, I'll die. It's funny, when I was going to um, 
When I started to drink my water in the beginning, Christina got up and goes, oh, I have to get water too. It's contagious, guys. Um, but it's, it's the water of life. All right, so people who know me know that I say this a lot. Uh, and I don't just say it. You know, I like to be a man who is consistent. I don't just say something, but I do this, what I say a lot also, which is awesome. People love that. They love consistent people. The problem is, what if what I'm speaking is kind of negative? Well, then, just because I'm consistent in my negative quality doesn't make it necessarily a good thing. And here's the thing that I do a lot. I space out a lot. Uh, I'll be in conversations with people and I have to really actively try to stay in the conversation. It's not because people bore me. Actually, I really like people. I like hearing about their lives. I like hearing their stories. I'm kind of a people watcher. But suddenly, out of nowhere, I'll just be like, squirrel, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm gone. Uh, William Perry knows what I'm talking about. See, I'm just trying to bring all of you in the message today. Um, one time, I was talking to Will and he actually said, look, that's a squirrel. And I'll always remember that because of how offended I was. Um, and then I go ahead and I do that to other people as well. My head gets in the cloud sometimes. And you know, something that I've noticed is we like to blame. They'll say that about like dreamers, right? Oh, the, these people, they're not consistent. Their heads are always in the clouds. They just kind of always go to a different world, right? But here's the thing that I've noticed. Every single one of us goes to a different world. Let's be honest, right? Just because when I dream and the world that I go to is up in the clouds, it's in Falalala land and, and nothing makes sense there, doesn't mean that you don't, when I'm dreaming and, and thinking of great things, you're not looking at me going, I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna stab this guy, right? You're going to your own little world where you're mad at me because I'm in my world, right? And, and so notice that I think every single one of us have that place that our brain wanders to. Those of you who are doers, who are thinkers, who are planners, your brain is wandering to your plans. How could I make this better? How can I do this better? And you're just as gone as I am. But you're okay with that, right? I understand, right? It's okay for you to do that, but I can't go to outer space and be a rocket ship for a little bit. Why not? Whatever. That's not important. I space out a lot. Um, but a lot of people do that. And when I was in high school, my friend Josh and I, we used to hang out a lot. Forgive me, we're not supposed to touch our faces, but my nose itches so much. I love you guys so freaking much. <laughs> okay. Um, my friends and I, I said it before, we were like long-haired, I mean, I guess my hair's long again. This is about how long it was too. Uh, we were long haired, we had skinny jeans, which I'm, I'm wearing skinny jeans. I don't know, I guess I haven't changed that much. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm just gonna get baggy pants, just so I can feel like I've grown, you know? Um, but we used to wear the skinny jeans, the big fat skate shirts. Uh, we used to wear big fat skate shirts, big fat skate shoes, and we'd have big shirts and I'd have like bracelets up to here. And, and like the re back when I was in high school, they didn't really make skinny jeans for guys. And so we always took our girlfriend's pants and our female friend's pants, and we were wearing girl jeans all the time, right? And so what happened is me and my friends, we all started swapping clothing all the time. Uh, it got it got to the point where we would get mad at each other because when one person got a shirt, the rest of the group assumed, oh, we got a new shirt. And I'm only down for that if I get to wear your shirt, not when you're wearing my shirt, right? Because let's face it, especially in high school, I did not know Jesus at all. I was a selfish little jerk, right? And so like, I would wear my friend's clothing, but when they wore mine, I was kind of annoyed about it. And I was like, dude, why don't you wear your own clothes? And they'd be like, well, because you're wearing my clothes right now. And it's like, that's not, that's not the point of the conversation. You're just a hypocrite, okay? Um, but my friend Josh got a shirt 
And I loved the shirt. It looked comfy. It fit really nice. It was super form-fitting. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this is the shirt. I'm going to wear it, right? And he looked at me one time, and he's like, bro, this is my only work shirt, and I have to go to work. Actually, let me backpedal. He didn't tell me that. I just got really excited. Um, we, we would always argue about wearing each other's clothing, right? The reason why Josh got to work at 16 and the rest of us didn't was because he got expelled from school, and so he was able to work. And the rest of us were jealous about that. Um, kind of because he had money but then we were also not jealous because when he was working i was skating and wearing his his shirts that he couldn't wear to work um but josh one time i spent the night at his house and i got up in the morning to go to school he didn't go to school with me why because he was expelled and i put on his work shirt here's the problem with this part of the story I didn't know it was his work shirt. See, earlier when I said I lied to you, I didn't know it was his work shirt yet. I didn't know it was his work shirt, and I got up, and I left, and I went to school, and I had a great time. No one commented on the shirt, but I know deep down everyone was looking at it and thinking how cool I looked. Um, but I'm walking around, and randomly he texts me, and I'm going to censor it because there was a lot of cuss words. He was like, where's my freaking shirt? And I was like, what are you talking about, bro? I... I'm wearing it right now, just like we wear all of each other's clothing. And Josh texts me, I told you not to freaking, not, a, not freaking, right? I told you not to wear my shirt. I told you I needed that for work. This is my only work shirt. How dare you do this to me? And he went off and I was like, bro, Josh, you did not tell me that. And we started going back and forth, which by the way, how high school can you be that we're arguing over wearing each other's shirt? Like I watched like, Legally Blonde and name your chick flick movie there and I see some of the, the moments in the movies where they have like their girl fight and I'm like oh man I had this fight before with a guy this is awkward like that happens to me a lot and um and so we're going back and forth and then randomly I'm like dude I'll just bring you the shirt so I did school right children don't do that but I did um Titus if you're watching this in the future I will kill you if you ditch school unless I let you ditch school because let's face I'm gonna be a cool dad like that I'm just kidding I won't I love you son I believe in you so I go to meet Josh dude I am like a I cannot stay focused today I think it's because deep down I know we're gonna get real serious right uh, so I go to meet up with Josh and I'm there and I hand him the shirt and I was like here dude take your freaking shirt I'm censoring uh take your freaking shirt dude I I'm sick of this argument and he looked at me and he goes bro I just realized something I'm like what he goes I imagine that conversation we didn't actually have it and I was like, me and him argued all day because he imagined a conversation that we had. And it's like, I want to be upset about that, but how many times have I just gone into my own little world and had conversations? You know, sometimes when I'm praying, I'm actually just winning arguments with people, right? I, I think many of us can have it. You know, it's like when you're in the shower and it's like, oh man, this I like, could have won that argument. And like, but this time a lot of people are there and they're always like, oh, you won the argument. You ever get in that place in worship where you're singing a song or you're just in your car doing your own little rock show or something and suddenly you're on stage and you have the guitar and you're the one everyone's thinking is amazing even though you can't sing because of your high-pitched voice that's kind of raspy and can't keep a tone very... That's me. Um, you ever notice that that happens? And I think it's funny. It's usually seen as such a negative thing. But I'm actually here to argue it's a positive thing. I actually think so many of us we have, I think, the propensity to kind of shift your brain and go into an entirely different world. I think that's a God-given thing. And I want to tell you why. First off, I want to say the enemy uses it against us so often, right? Like, I could watch TV for eight hours, but if I read my Bible for five minutes, suddenly I'm bored, right? I can turn off my brain and go into La La Land, and I can be in Narnia 
with Aslan himself, and that's okay. But then when I go into my secret place, I suddenly can't, I suddenly can't get in there. What's up with that? You know, I think it's just one thing we're really passionate and excited about. The other thing we know we're supposed to, and we kind of uh, go away from it a little bit. But, but I want to say that I do think that ability is a God-given thing. I read books a lot, and something people say would tell me is like, oh, that's just escapism. And it's like, well, I mean, you watch TV, how's that not escapism? Like, you go get your nails done, how is that not escapism? You know, like, we all do it to some degree, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, you know, one time I was going on a road trip with my wife. And uh, it was a really fun road trip. It was only like a two and a half, three hour drive. And, and I, I selected a bunch of sermons and the music that I wanted to listen to. And so what my plan was, was, oh, we're gonna listen to these sermons. We're gonna listen to this music. And here's how we're gonna spend the next three hours. And as we got into the car and as I put the sermon on, my wife and I started talking. And we actually had a really good conversation. And it's funny, people who don't know my wife very well might think she's very quiet. But something that I know about my wife from being in three-hour car drives with her is that she can talk for three hours straight, right? But we started talking. And, and here's the thing, though. It wasn't one of those conversations where I wanted, I was like, man, I just want to listen to my sermon now, you know? I wasn't upset. Suddenly, we just started talking. And then before I knew it, we were where we needed to be. It was like, where did the time go? And suddenly, the ability to disappear into another world became a good thing because I disappeared into that world with my wife. And what it created was bonding. Suddenly in our car, there was an atmosphere of love, of affection, of tenderness, of openness, where we could talk with each other about anything. And it's the same thing that sends my head to the follow-up clouds is the same part of my body and mind that sends me into that place where I can be so knitted in a conversation with someone that I lose track of time. It's the same thing. And with one thing, it's good. It's building relationship. But on the other side, it's distracting and it takes you away. And so I don't think our propensity for escapism or our ability to disappear into the clouds or think about all of our arguments and how we could be doing things better, I don't think that's a bad thing we have to learn to stop doing. I think it's a good thing we have to learn to apply correctly. Because basically, at the end of the day, what is that? All that is is setting an atmosphere. All that happened is my wife and I set an atmosphere where all of our attention was on each other. And suddenly the atmosphere of the car shifted. And it wasn't a hassle. But here's what it took. It took both parties to decide we're going to enter into this atmosphere together. It didn't happen right away. At first we had to talk. We had to make space for each other. We had to make room for each other. And then suddenly three hours were gone. And I didn't realize, man, how was I talking to this human for so long? It's easy when you're in love. But just because you're in love doesn't mean it's always happening immediately, right? Um, you'll see a few times in scripture where Jesus sets an atmosphere, where Jesus sets the stage for people to join in. Uh, you know, we're talking about Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17. What is that? You're a tree planted by the river. It's an atmosphere, right? You're growing along this stream. You're in a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of mindset, a different kind of way of viewing things, a different way of being, right? And when the Bible says renew your mind every day, it's calling you to go back to that, right? It's funny, if you read Revelation, you're in a garden. 
At the end of Revelation, when the world comes back, you're in a garden where there's a river flowing from the there's a river flowing from the throne and there's trees all along it, and we're before God in this garden. And it's interesting is when God made Eden, when God made perfection, when God made the place where he wanted to dwell with mankind, it was a garden. There's so much phraseology, there's so much terminology, there's a there's an atmosphere to that. For people who have been in gardens before, like real gardens, I'm not saying like the little one outside of your house, but where it goes along the stone walls and there's vines, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can hear it if you've been a part of it. I'm a beach kid, and there are times when I will close my eyes and I can almost smell the ocean. I can almost feel the wind on my face, feel the saltiness, just kind of in the air, hear the seagulls. I know what the atmosphere of the ocean is like because I used to be so in love with being in the ocean. And did you know that we can set those kind of atmospheres? Sometimes we have to fight for it. Sometimes we have to kick for it. But did you know that as a Christian, we can be so satiated, we can be so saturated in this kind of atmosphere that we never actually leave it no matter where we walk. We actually just carry it with us wherever we go. Now, for some of you, this may seem too charismatic or floopy. And I want to be honest with you, relationship always is. Relationship, see, I'm not talking about these big theological constructs today. I'm asking you a simple question. How is your relationship with God? Or is it a struggle every time you have to walk in to your secret place with Him? Because if it's a struggle, then you're having to do it again every day. But what if you set an atmosphere where it never changes? I've told this story before, but I actually want to tell it again. I had a friend when I interned. His name was Kelton. Kelton was that guy who knew his Bible backwards and forwards. He was a second year, so he was always like correcting us and trying to guide us along the path of Jesus. And because us as first years, we were still kind of bucking Jesus. What do we say about him, right? This guy is annoying. But one time I was by myself at the house and I was praying in my secret place. And as I was walking through the house and praying, um, everywhere I went, I felt like I was hitting a wall. And I really felt like God nudged me to walk into Kelton's room. And when I walked into his room, I sat down and the peace of God suddenly met me. And I remember being so floored, but it hit me. Why couldn't I experience this anywhere else that I went? Well, here's the difference between me and Kelton. Actually, there was like five of us that lived in that house. The four of us in Kelton, Kelton set an atmosphere for God. Kelton, when he would get home, he would close the door and he would sit in his room for hours reading. Here's the thing, he didn't do it because he had to. Kelton absolutely loved the presence of God. And I wanna say something, it may sound kinda weird, but it was true. And it seemed like, based off of my interactions with him, the best way I can describe it is, and it seemed like the presence of God loved him as well. And suddenly it became this mutual thing. And when I walked into it, it was easier for me to experience God because of an atmosphere that Kelton had set over his entire life. And that actually sticks with me a lot. And I want to point out something. If you look in scripture, whenever Jesus was going to do particularly crazy miracles, what would he do? He would only take three people with him. He would say, Peter, James, and John, you can come. Everyone else stay. Why were they able to go, but other people weren't? 
And some people would point out because what Jesus was doing took a lot of faith. And maybe Peter, James, and John had a bigger capacity to believe that what God was going to do, what God was going to do was actually going to happen. Where the other nine disciples still kind of doubted and weren't ready for it yet, right? When God would walk in these miracles, especially when they were really big ones, you'll see it a few times in scripture where he had to set an atmosphere. He would kick people out of the room and say, hey, you're not welcome here right now. I need to do a miracle. Peter, James, and John get in here. Notice that when he went up to the garden to go pray and seek God because he was having a hard time, what did he do? He brought the men up with him that were always able to experience that same atmosphere with him, but that time they failed. And so God had to walk away from them. Jesus had to walk away from them and seek God on his own. But something interesting happened in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus didn't have the option to send people away because they were mourning, because there were family there, because there were siblings there. His other disciples were there. And actually, if you look at John chapter 11, once Jesus resurrected Lazarus, that is when the uh, Pharisees went became absolutely focused on killing Jesus. The resurrection of Lazarus was the final straw in the ministry of Jesus. Once that happened, basically his death was sealed because the Pharisees shut their ears and said, we're killing him no matter the cost. And so Jesus, this final time, instead of removing people to set an atmosphere, he set the atmosphere right in front of them. And I want to talk about that real quick. Let's go to John chapter 11, verse 41 to 42. Remember, Lazarus is dead in an empty tomb for three, four days now. And Jesus said, uh, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now hear this, this next part's important. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus sits and prays this prayer. And what does he say? I'm not praying this prayer because I'm doubting. I'm praying this prayer because they need to catch up with what I already know. And so Jesus begins to pray a prayer and all he's doing is setting an atmosphere of faith for the people around Jesus right now to go, you know what? You're right. God really has moved a lot around him. Suddenly the 12 disciples who were known to be doubting are like, no man, I've actually seen him resurrect people before. Wait a second, I've actually seen him move in crazy ways before. Lazarus's family suddenly starts to think, you know what? Yeah, we've seen some crazy things and suddenly their faith is being built because Jesus is praying a prayer specifically to set an atmosphere for them. All these people that are around at the funeral go, you know, we have heard a lot about Jesus's miracles maybe something crazy is going to happen right now. And so Jesus, before he ever walked in a miracle, in this moment, before he walked in this miracle, he set an atmosphere for the miracle to take place. He built the faith. He built the hope. Did you know that as Christians, we're supposed to always walk in that kind of miracle-focused atmosphere? And that can be really challenging because a lot of times we don't. And so we built theologies around why it's okay that I'm not that aware of God at all times. Listen, I am not speaking to you as someone who is that aware of God at all times. I'm speaking to you as someone who's looking at you and saying, guys, let's figure this out because we know we're supposed to be that focused on God at all times. So how can we do it? What does that look like? What kind of person do I need to be? And how can I reach that point? C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote about the secret place. It's in the screw tape letters, and he's writing as screw tape. And, and um, 
I forget the name of his nephew. Wormwood? Wormtongue? Wormwood. Right, so Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, and Wormwood basically tells him, hey, man, I was trying to get at this guy, and suddenly he was enveloped in a smoke, and I couldn't see him anymore, right? Wormwood is a demon in the story. C.S. Lewis wrote a story from the perspective of demons trying to stop a man from being saved, right? And so this demon was trying to go bring a man down, and suddenly the atmosphere of God surrounded this man, and the demon couldn't enter into this man's position with God. I actually think C.S. Lewis was tapping into the truth of the atmosphere of the Christian life. I've heard stories before of, of people, um, warlocks and people who used to be follow demons and used to worship demons. They would tell stories, right? And I'm stealing this from Damon Thompson. You should actually go look it up um, because it's online. Maybe we can post a link to it in the bottom. Uh, but basically, Damon Thompson tells a story of a warlock who ran into a pastor's um, office fell on his knees and said hey I need to accept Jesus right now and the pastor goes yo what just happened and he goes I ran into something that if I don't accept Jesus right now I'm going to die the man looks and says, let's talk. And he started asking him, what does he do as a warlock? And this is what this warlock said. Now, I'm not saying all warlocks do this. I'm saying this one did. He's saying that they went around the city, and any time they saw little fires in front of people's hearts, they would say, we know those are Christians, and we curse them. Right? Now, you know me. How do I feel about spiritual warfare? God is bigger than that, right? I feel that if a warlock curses me, I'm gonna laugh and pray against it and they're gonna get attacked in return, right? That's the kind of God we serve. But listen to this story because I think there's some merit to it. Um, he says we would curse them because if they ever learned the power of that little flame in front of them, they would be unstoppable. And so the pastor asks, so you just walk around and you curse every single Christian you see? And the warlock says, no, we can't curse every Christian we see. Only the ones with the little fire in front of them. There are other Christians we see that are covered in fire. Is this a spiritual weird thing? It absolutely is. But this is a warlock and they're involved in spiritual weird things. And they say, these people are covered in fire and we learn that if we try to curse them, the curse comes back on us. He says, we know them because they speak in a funny language and they talk a different way and they walk a different way and that fire so envelops them that we can't touch them and so we go and curse the other Christians and hoping that the hardships of this world and the hardships of the enemy will distract them from learning the depth of the fire that's in them and here's the thing I think that is absolutely a true statement I think the reason why Christians fall for so much struggle with so much fall apart in so much just get beat down in so much is because we just have a little flame we know God enough to go to heaven but what if we got set ablaze? What if every single day of our lives were never the same again? What if we got so infected by the fullness of who God is that we walked forward day to day, month to month, year to year, decade to decade. We stayed on fire because the fire of God is not something that wanes. It's not something that dies down. It's not something that has a bad moment. It's not something that disappears. God is faithful. He is consistent. He is daily and he is with us. Amen. Sorry, I got passionate there. I want, I want this fire back in my life. And I feel like sometimes because of this quarantine, no, this quarantine just gives me an excuse. I feel like sometimes because of the propensities in my heart, I shy away from the flame. When it doesn't have to fade, it doesn't have to wither, it doesn't have to cease. C.S. Lewis as Screwtape writes this, as you ought to have known, the asphyxiating cloud which prevented you from attacking the patient Right, so the secret place, the presence of God, attacking the patient, the Christian. Um, on his walk from the old mill is a well-known phenomenon. 
It is the enemy's, the enemy is God in this story, right? The enemy's most barbarous weapon and generally appears when he is directly present to the patient under certain modes not yet fully classified. Hear this, some humans are permanently surrounded by it and are therefore inaccessible to us. Do you know why I teach I don't believe spiritual warfare looks like the way it does? Because I believe that if we become so focused and saturated in God that the enemy actually can't move in our way anymore. I believe spiritual warfare isn't about rebuking the devil because I think that actually causes us to look away from God and look to the devil. I think the warfare for a Christian is being so filled with God that the enemy flees at the presence of the Christian. Here's what I would say. I would say Christians can have such an atmosphere of the relevance of God, of their position with God, of their identity with God, that their past no longer hinders them, that their future no longer scares them, and that their present circumstances, just like Jesus in the boat, lets them fall right asleep and sleep like a baby because the enemy can't do anything to stop us. Can I get an amen on that? Um, amen. Hallelujah in the bottom because God is good. But I love that some humans are permanently surrounded by it and are therefore inaccessible to us. I believe C.S. Lewis is right. I believe that when you permanently surround your heart, mind, and thoughts with Jesus and understand, I understand that's easier said than done, but I want you to hear me now. It is possible. When I permanently surround myself, I believe the enemy can't even walk into my home. I believe the enemy can't even move around my life. I believe I am fully free of anything the enemy would try to throw against me. Um, because it's time for us to be free. It's time for us to live with that kind of understanding of the relevance of God. It's time for us to be trees planted by the river. We don't get up, we don't unroot and go around the enemy for a while and then go back to the tree, back to the plant, back to the river. I think we need to stay put in the presence of God and not grow weary of being in his presence. I'm sorry, Christina, uh, where am I at on time? 36 minutes. 36 minutes? Cool. I had about three points I wanted to give you, um, but I don't think I need to. I, I actually think this is enough. I think it's, it's enough to ponder on, to think on. Next week, I'm, I'm going to talk about the secret place a little bit more, and I'll try to be a bit more theological. Um, but listen to me. Your secret place has nothing to do with theology. Should you have good theology? 100%. Study your Bibles. Know your God. Know your scriptures. Study theology. Ask questions. Buy books. I say do all of those things. The Bible is my favorite book to read. I am a reader. I am a Bible person. But here is the absolute truth. The apostles, when they were operating in the full presence of God, they had no Bible. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They didn't have Acts. They didn't have Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians. They didn't have 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd uh, Thessalonians. They didn't have the the Titus book. They didn't have First and Second Peter, First, Second, or Third John. They didn't have Revelation. They didn't have Hebrews or Colossians. They didn't have these books. They just had Jesus. And here's what I know. I know that we can be so filled with God that we fulfill Scripture without even knowing the Scripture, right? You need to know your Scripture. But I think you can live so aware of the presence of God that you're fulfilling the Bible because of you're following the God who always lives by the Bible. Our God is great. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. The tree planted by the river, it has no fear of the heat. The heat is the present moment circumstances. Listen to me. Your fear won't survive in the secret place. 
I have prayed in my fear state. Yeah, I get it, you've prayed, but I want you to set an atmosphere. I want you to set an atmosphere in your life. And let me tell you, here's how you'll know when it's gone. You're not afraid anymore. You're not anxious anymore. Because I'm planted by the water. Jesus tells the woman at the well that he has the water of life. So if you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. You'll never want again. How come if I drink of the water, I'll never want again, then how come as Christians we want so badly and we want so much? We're not planting by that river. We're not planting by that water. Listen to me, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what's one of the things he said? He said, I thirst. Jesus who said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. What did he say? I thirst. He had to be removed from the water so that we could partake. He had to experience what it was like to not be filled with the power and the word and the presence of Jesus, of God, so that, right, he had to live outside of that satisfaction for a moment so that we could partake of it for eternity. Listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Why? And it's because we'll never need to thirst because he thirsted for us. And when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the anguish, the pain, the thirst that's there that we'll never need to experience again. These trees planted by the river, that's us. They'll always bear fruit. They do not fear drought and they are not anxious for anything. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. When I used to cry at night because I had night terrors and I felt alone and I didn't even believe in God, God met me and I would repeat scripture. God, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I used to be a man who was anxious. I used to be filled to the brim with anxiety and doubts and worries and I was so afraid that things wouldn't work out when I first found Jesus, I couldn't sleep at night. I would stay awake. But here's what I learned in that season. I can't let that season beat me. And so when other people who are filled with anxiety go and lay down and sit on the roof all night and go, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. God filled me with a better way. He said, get up and come seek me. And so I would go before his throne and I would cry out to him. And I'm, I'm actually proud to say this. I don't get anxious anymore. When situations hit, I don't doubt. I have people in my life that go, how can you trust God? I don't get it. It's because he built that trust in me during the seasons of anxiety where I felt so twisted on the inside, when I felt like I couldn't breathe, when I felt like I'd have panic attacks every night, I'd have nightmares, and I would cry out, God, where are you? He was with me, and I realized I need to go meet you. And suddenly, as I planted along the river, I didn't have anxiety anymore. I didn't fear drought. I always bore fruit of the kingdom because I met with the God who produced fruit in me. And their leaves are always green. They're always healthy and growing. Listen to me. People who have an atmosphere of Christ, people who set an atmosphere in their secret place, in their lives, in their day-to-day, in their moment-to-moment, they grow. And if you feel like you've walked on the same mountain Maybe it's time to stop blaming other people. And maybe, maybe it's even time to stop blaming yourself. It's time to say, hey, I'm not planted where I should be. And being planted where you should be has nothing to do with your church. Sorry, you can't blame them. It has nothing to do with your job. I'm sorry, you can't blame them. It has nothing to do with your spouse or your family. I'm sorry, you can't blame them. 
Because Jesus stopped the storm, but before that he was sleeping in a boat that was rocking. Jesus taught us, if you really have the atmosphere of Christ in your life, the circumstances don't matter and you'll just be all right. But I need to be encouraged, I know you do, so let God encourage you. Because if you set an atmosphere where God's meeting you there constantly and all the time, you will be encouraged. I just think we don't preach that message because we make people feel like, oh man, so God's far away from you. Where no, no, God's not far away from you. You're not looking to him. Where is God? Well, he's right where you left him. Go back, go plant by that river and grow. Do you have a consistent sin in your life that you just keep running back to? The only answer, the only reason why you keep doing that is because you're just not planted. You get up and you do things and you go back and you pray. Your secret place isn't supposed to be an escape haven. It's supposed to be the place where you learn the atmosphere of your entire life. Push in with God until the anxiety is gone. Don't stop and say, well, I prayed so he'll meet me later today. Stay until he meets you. Push in with God until the fear is gone. Listen, the heat is responding in the moment. I have met people, and here's what I'll say to people, and I've said this to a couple people. I say this to them. I'll say, you're not good in the moment, but when you go and pray, you always come back good, right? That's a baby step. It's a good step in the right direction, but here's the truth. Christians who have an atmosphere of Christ, they respond good in the moment. Oh, sorry, this just happened today, so I, I took it out on you, I apologize. That's not the atmosphere of Christ. I know people that play worship in their house 24-7. And you know why they put worship in their house 24-7? Here's what they'll tell me. Because it sets an atmosphere. And you know they're right. Do you know that's why we play worship before service? Obviously we don't right now, but when we're in a church building, because we want to set an atmosphere before the preaching happens. We want to set an atmosphere in the hearts of the people to focus our attention back on Christ. And I think sometimes, because we always have worship before service, we've done a disservice to people because we teach them, hey, we'll set the atmosphere for you so you don't have to. And I think right now we're living in a season where we have to set the atmosphere ourselves. You have to come into this message ready to hear it. But if playing worship sets an atmosphere, and I think a lot of us would agree that it does. I actually think all of us would agree it does, right? Reading your Bible, praying, seeking God, that sets an atmosphere. Then does that mean that doing things that aren't of God set an atmosphere? Yeah. If you, if you watch porn in the morning before you get up and do anything, you, you set an atmosphere in your life. If you're getting drunk at night, you're setting an atmosphere in your life. If you're yelling at your family, cussing out your kids, yelling at your wife, getting yelled at by your wife, you guys are setting an atmosphere. If you're just sitting and griping about how much you hate your life or hate your job or how hard things have been or how hard your health situation is, you're setting an atmosphere in your life. And I'm sorry if this comes out kind of harsh because I don't want you to feel like I don't care about those things because they're important and they're significant and you matter and your struggle and what you're going through, it really truly matters. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to this truth. You are not setting the right atmosphere in your life. Because you know, if you cut out some of that TV time and just play worship, you know, if you just grab your spouse and instead of you guys arguing every day, you guys just worship together and pray together, your home would probably change. And some of you say, I wanna do that with my spouse, but they won't do it with me. Make that known to them. And if they still reject you, then here's what I said, ready? You can't own that rejection and you have to go set the atmosphere yourself. You can actually be okay. If you're doing everything you can before God, God will make a way. 
But I think for some of us, we push the blame on someone else because they're not ready for what we want to do. Go set the atmosphere. Go live an atmosphere that's right with God. Church, that is our goal. I think God has blessed us in this season. I think God has called the entire church and turned every single church in America into a home church so that every single person has to learn to depend on God day in and day out. And so I pray that you'll do that. I'm gonna come live with you guys in a second and we're gonna talk. And then after that, man, I, I, I sincerely pray that you go spend time with God, that you go work on your life and say, man, how can I set an atmosphere that is you focused? And listen, I wanna say this a thousand more times. Don't blame someone else for your lack of atmosphere. Plant by the river. Get to know God. Well, God put me in this situation. He absolutely did. And that means he knows you'll be able to find him in this situation. Amen, church? As a church, as followers of Christ, we can't be people of excuses. We have to be people who have one focus, and that's this. I want to know God more. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. And that's not on anyone else besides us. Amen? I love you, church. I pray that you're encouraged. Listen, I know this could be discouraging. I pray that you're encouraged because here's the truth. If you go and try to set that atmosphere, God will meet you and he will set it with you. Draw near to me for I have drawn near to you. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. God, that you would bless them. You would keep them. You would let them know that you are here, that you are present and that you were able, dear God. Thank you, Lord, that we can set a true atmosphere, a you-centered atmosphere, Father God, the atmosphere of our lives, our secret place, our car rides, our music, even the TV shows we watch, Father God, we begin to shift all of those things to putting you first and foremost, God. And I thank you that as we begin to set an atmosphere in our lives of putting you first, I thank you that that atmosphere will become contagious, God. It will affect our mindset. We'll start to think, act, talk, and walk differently and be the people that deep down we know we want to be. I thank you, God, because it's possible because of you, because you died for us, and because you love us, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I say, amen. Church, be blessed. Take care.